you guys doing? It's been, uh, this is my second time to Nelson. I was here in, uh, was it August? Yeah, August is my first time actually to Canada completely. And I, I live with a Canadian in Denver. I'm from Denver, Colorado. And um, I moved there about a year ago after working for about eight years with, with Basil, um, with a group, a small group called YWAM all over the world. Um, I've got to work kind of with radical Muslims there who are so cool and um, some Hindus who are a little crazy but nice people, some just devoted Buddhist monks a lot in northern India and just sit and hang with them and study and discover in the Bible with them and then uh, a lot of weird Americans as well. <laughs> so, but uh, about a year ago, God led me back to move to Denver, Colorado and uh, to work with um, a small church called the Dellum. And we're kind of based off of kind of missional communities that kind of try to engage our neighborhoods and move into our neighborhoods and be live Jesus in our neighborhoods. So I'll tell you a few stories. Um, but I just want to start out with prayer, if I can pray, if that's okay. Um, Lord, I just thank you that um, this place, this place, Nelson, B.C., is uh, full of people who love people so well full of people who enjoy community and love to serve. And um, God, I just see your heart all over this place. So I just pray for this city, God, that your kingdom comes and your will be done. Provide the things that need to be provided for in this city. Lord, and let forgiveness and freedom just be released, not only in this church, but in everybody uh, in this city, God, because we all need it. We all want that freedom, that lightness in our hearts, Lord Jesus. Um, so let your kingdom come here. Let your will be done here, Lord Jesus. In your name, amen. Um, just to provide a little light to you that I'm uh, um, not that of intelligent of a person, I went to, um, what's the coffee shop? Oh, Oso. And um, I was trying to adapt. I'm like, Canadians are kind of French. They speak French. And I go up to order this, uh, this tea up there. And I look at it, and my mind's thinking French, and this is a bad French accent as well. And I look, and there's this tea that says Dandelion. And I'm like, what is the Dandelion tea? And you also have a latte, I see. And he lifts up this box, and he's like, oh, you mean the Dandelion tea? And I'm like, yep, that one's it. <laughs> I, I think I'll just have a coffee. That's what I can handle. So that's me getting welcomed in your culture and trying to be relevant, and I'm not at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I've just experienced, I was here for craft dinner, and you guys, this church is doing so many radical things. I was just so impressed. You guys have kids coming in here eating macaroni and cheese that you guys call craft dinner, and it is so awesome. Like, so many kids I just see get joy on their face. They get a little sniff of the kingdom, even coming in here for like 20 minutes, and then they get scoot off back to school. Like, I'm just like, isn't that what Jesus does? I think that's what Jesus would totally do. I'm just awesome. And then I was with Jesse on Saturday, and we got to go play games. And I sat there with my girlfriend, Tanya, and I'm, I haven't been here before. I haven't been with these people, and we're playing games. And in the middle of it, I stopped and felt like, I feel like I'm best friends with all of these people. And it was the weirdest feeling, but so good because I'm like, wow, I belong here. And But that's just, honestly, it's an inclusive community. It's kind of what Jesus walked around and did so well. And I think it's just like something you guys do awesome. So I just, I've learned so much from you guys already. Um, 
I'm going to talk about Jesus, um, but I want to share a few stories to start off what I'm talking about um, with what shaped how I interact with people. And I've seen Jesus move in radical ways. I've seen miracles happen overseas. Like, I've seen, like, no way, like, the God of the Bible is the God of today. Like, I've just, it's blown up. And I've been with all these different religions. And um, the verse that resounds to me of, like, why I would stand up here is Psalm 63.3. It says, God's love is better than life. And that's why I praise him. And, like, over my time of wrestling with different worldviews and stuff like that, I'm just like, yes. Like, I've never felt the joy like that. And that's what I want to impart to people, if that's on a stool in a coffee shop or in front of people. But two stories that have really shaped, like, how I give that to people is um, a few years ago, I was in Washington, D.C., our uh, my nation's capital, and uh, I was picking up a friend at the Greyhound, uh, Greyhound, Greyhound station, and, uh, and we roll in there, and this, in this part of the city, there's a lot of prostitution, there's like drugs and stuff going on, and it's about midnight. We come in to pick him up, and uh, he comes out, really tired, and I run into this guy on the street, and uh, his name's Slick Money. What a name, right? <laughs> and uh, I'm like, good to meet you, Slick Money. And, uh, and I start talking to him just about life, and he starts, this sorrow starts coming up in his heart, you know? And... Um, like he's telling about hard things going on, and I, and I start telling him, what if, Slick Money, what if I tell you there's like a different king that reigns over our land? What if I tell you there's somebody who actually brings hope, joy, peace, and love instead of the shame, guilt, fear that you continue to talk about? And he looks at me, this like gangster thug with his hood up, and he's like, um, I, I think I'd like that. I think I'd like that. So I continue on to tell him about this, this guy named Jesus who actually, what a joy, <laughs> um, who, who actually like lived in such a way that he brought a different reign over our lives, a new whole way to live that he kept talking about the kingdom. And I, so I told him about this kingdom thing where Jesus went around, healed people. He brought hope into people's lives. And in the end, he says, there'll be one day no more crying, tears, and in the process, in the middle, he is bringing his kingdom. And he's dr- it was so funny. He takes his backpack as I'm talking about this kingdom thing, and he starts dumping it in the trash. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, there's drugs in here. I'm done with this. And he looks at me and gets on his knees. I didn't tell him to do anything. I'm not like evangelizing. I'm just telling him about the kingdom, you know? And he gets on his knees and he says, what do I say? What do I say? I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, well, I want this thing, whatever this Jesus thing is, that's what I want in my life. And I'm like, um, I, I, I guess I can pray with you, you know? So he prays this little prayer and says like, yeah, that, I want this kingdom of Jesus in my life. Gets up with a smile on his face, hands me his cell phone and says, dials it. And he goes, talk to my girlfriend. She'll never believe what happened. <laughs> and um, so I get this phone to this girl I've never met. I'm like, um, is this Slick Money's girlfriend? <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, um, he, like, I think he found Jesus. Do, is that weird? And he threw his, like, drugs away and stuff. And then I gave it back. And he left, but it was rocked my mind of, like, this idea of kingdom this goodness, like this, this sniff of the kingdom that he got of like hope, joy, and fear instead of shame, guilt, like changed this man's life. 
My second story that has shaped like how I view Christianity is I was playing basketball because that's what I like to do. Not really holy at all. Was, I just play basketball. And I was over in a men's league. It was in Montana when I lived there. And uh, there was one guy on my team. His name was Kyle. And Kyle was one of those guys who was um, like, I mean, he was the annoying kid on the team, you know? <laughs> Um, and, and he wasn't good. He'd get technical fouls, and we'd lose the game really because of Kyle. And uh, I remember, and he definitely didn't really know Jesus. His attitude showed it pretty clearly. Um, and uh, I remember after one game, um, I felt like Jesus put on my heart, like, like, ask him if he wants prayer. And I'm like, that's so weird, you know? Like, it's just weird. So, but it was just heavy on my heart, so I'd go up to him. I'm like, hey, Kyle, so... How's the game? Good. Yeah. Um, hey, can I pray for you? And he's like, I'm so glad you asked. So want that. And we sit on the bleachers, and I'm like, okay, good. I'm like, what do you want prayer for? And he looks at me, and he's like, I know exactly what I want prayer for. He goes, what I want is a really, really, really hot girlfriend and lots and lots of money. <laughs> and I'm over here like, well, um, we got church at 7 o'clock on Sundays. That you no, I didn't say that. I'm like, Okay, um, well, um, let me pray for that. And I'm like, God, I pray like you find the best person for him and like, you know, provide his needs and stuff like that, you know? But he's like, oh, thanks. And it was the next, it was the next day I was just spending time with the Lord and God put on my heart that this kid had really terrible shoes. And I just got these brand new, my favorite shoes I've ever had in my life. They're like throwback Air Maxes from 92. They're awesome. And, uh, I remember God putting on my heart, like, give him your shoes. And I'm like, that's so weird, no. And I really said, no, those are my shoes. <laughs> and uh, I remember two days later, I'm sitting there praying, I felt like God brings my heart these shoes again. But then I thought, I'm pretty tall, he's kind of short, actually. And I'm like, I know you, God, you're just testing my heart, I gotcha. You know, his shoes are smaller. So I call him up, and I'm like, hey, Kyle, like, weirdest thing, I was praying, and I was just wondering what, what size shoe do you wear? And he's like, I wear 11s. And I'm like, me too, crazy. <laughs> and, um, and I'm like, well, God just put on my heart that, um, that I was supposed to give you my shoes. And uh, so I was just wondering if I can have that. And he goes, really? Thanks. And then he looks, and, or he didn't look at me. We were on the phone. <laughs> um, he, uh, he says to me, he goes, um, hey, remember you prayed for me last week? And I'm like, yep, totally remember that. <laughs> And uh, he goes, well, do you know what? That's not what I want prayer for. That's not what I want prayer for. And I'm like, okay. He, go, he goes, I go, what do you want prayer for? And he goes, well, I want to know what it means to be forgiven. Like, how do I get, like, forgiveness in my life? I, I just feel this heaviness. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And it opened up the door for me to share about this Jesus dude. And I'm like, well, Jesus talks about this thing called the kingdom where it actually relieves us from this heaviness, this weight, this like burden, this guilt. And he actually, yes, gives us eternal life, but actually redeems and gives us a whole new way to live right now as well and gives us a way in the future. And through that, he goes, I've never heard that story before. He's never heard the story of Jesus in the kingdom. And he's like, yeah, that's, that's something I want in my life. And, uh, and it just hit me, like, through a stupid pair of shoes, this kid actually got, a, like, a way to actually, like, like, taste goodness, taste a whole new way to live. And the very reason I would say, like, God's love is better than life. 
God's love is better than life. That's why I praise him. And he got a sniff of that. And he's like, oh, wow, I, I didn't know that before. And it started changing my, my idea of like, as Christians, God says, go into all the world, make disciples. You know, and he really, what he charges us to be is an advocate for people, standing for people and showing them actually a better way to live. Jesus, when he came onto the scene, he came onto the scene and uh, you guys, sorry, I don't have a slideshow. Basil didn't tell me you guys do slides until like five minutes before I got here. So I'm going to read to you guys. Um, but Jesus was born into this area, guys, where there was so much religiosity and oppression and all this stuff, and they were looking for a new king to take over. And they heard about this thing all through the Old Testament of like a kingdom, there's going to be a new way to live, and they're looking for someone actually to just take over and bring redemption and take over Rome. And Jesus comes in as this king, and turns into, um, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. You can turn there if you want, or I'll read to you. He walks into the temple. He walks in, oh, wow. <laughs> this church is amazing. <laughs> okay, he walks into this temple, and, uh, and he sits down just like a normal time, gets up to read scripture, and everybody knows actually this scripture is talking about the kingdom. It's talking about a whole new way to live. So when people heard this scripture read, their antennas went up and said, oh, this is something different. And this is what Jesus said pretty much Christianity is. Um, he said this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent, sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recover sight to the blind, to release the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up his scroll and gave it back to the attendant. And he rolled it up. And when he sat down, everybody's eyes looked on him like, what did he just read? And they're like waiting for his like interpretation of the scripture. And they look at him and Jesus stands again and it says the eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fastened on him. And he began to say to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He said today, like the kingdom is here now. I think so often we hear this word gospel, right? We're like, what is the gospel? And people are like, Jesus was born of a virgin Mary. He died on the cross, rose again, and our sins are forgiven. Totally true. Okay, 100% true. This idea of eternal salvation is true. It's evident in the Bible. But the crazy thing is that idea is only mentioned about 10 times in the New Testament. This idea when Jesus talks about kingdom is his primary message. And in, the, in Matthew alone, the I, word kingdom is talked about about 50 times just in Matthew alone. So this idea of just, no, the prisoners are going to be released. Like, the captives are going to be set free. The blind will see. And after that, Jesus went out again. And if you turn, let's see how fast he is. Matthew 4, verse 23. <laughs> faster than me. <laughs> it said this, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among all the people. Now the news of him spread throughout um, all over Syria. 
So this idea that actually what Jesus did on his life and took disciples with him is brought the kingdom of healing. And yes, first and foremost, we often see physical healing. But you know what? It was also internal healing in his heart. Like he would bring people like slick money and say, no, there's more for you slick money. Your life can be different. And when they get a taste of that, people started turning to him wanting a different life. In uh, John chapter 3, this Pharisee, this very religious man named Nicodemus, came to him and said, Jesus, I want something more. Jesus didn't judge him or look at him differently. He just said, yeah, this is the kingdom. Let me tell you about it. You've got to be born again, but your I- whole identity has to be changed. The next chapter, the far other end of society, a prostitute's hanging at this well. Jesus goes to a prostitute who is living probably not the way he would prefer, and says to her, and looks her in the eye and says, the way you're living is not good, but I love you anyway. Like, he tells her, like, you're a prostitute, but in such a way, he's like, I see that, but I love you anyway, and there's a whole new way to live. And both of these identities got reborn. The woman went back to her village, never really known anything about Jesus before, but tasted the kingdom, and went back to her town, and couldn't stop her mouth from moving about this goodness. She's like, this love is better than life. You guys got to know it. Nicodemus went back to his folk and started being an advocate, standing for this kingdom that's better than life. Jesus said, no, the kingdom is now. We got a responsibility now. Um, And in that, he released a hope. And there's this word, have you guys heard of this word called shalom? It's a Jewish word. It means peace, right? But actually, in the Jewish context, it actually meant more than just just a peace, like, hey, peace be with you. It meant like a holistic peace, a peace that you bring to businesses, a peace that you bring to nature, a peace that you bring to people's lives. Because any of us look around and we see, and it's been evident to Basil and I lately, that the world's not how it quite should be, right? Basil and I, just this last week, had a mentor of ours just pass away at 50 years old, running on the streets. And that's, we're like, that's not how life is meant to be. In Denver, Colorado, this summer, we had a, a young man bust into a movie theater and start shooting people in the movie theater, killing tons of people. And a lot of them went to Tanya's hospital afterwards. And we're like, that's not how life should be. Just about a month ago, a girl was abducted in nor- or just northern part of our city, and she was murdered, and a 10-year-old girl, and kind of dismantled and like spread across the park. And we're like, that's not how life is meant to be. That's not shalom. That's not how I think God designed it. And in our hearts, I think all of us can look and be like, that's, that's not this shalom. That's not what Jesus was talking about. And we see him pointing that out and showing everybody, no, we're actually made as children of God to actually be advocates, what Jesus showed us, to bring a change to that brokenness that all of us would say, yeah, I think that's broken. And I think it maybe starts with our neighbors. You know, there's this, there's this cool verse. It's, um, let's see, it's right here. Um, it's John 1, 14. But this is in the message. I love how it says it. It says, the word became flesh. This living God who wants to bring redemption and bring the kingdom became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. 
We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. But I loved it. His main message was like, in our surrounding area, like this living God moved into the neighborhood. And we start seeing our neighborhoods actually being places that we do just what Jesus said. He proclaimed like, no, 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 a new kingdom of redemption is here. A new shalom is actually supposed to take place. Um, Mark fifteen thirty nine. Wow. Okay. So this is right after Jesus died. There's a centurion. He's like a Roman leader. He's under Caesar, right? And he reads this, or he says this. He said, when the centurion who uh, stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. And, and you've got to know something about this Roman culture. This same man, the same guard, would have reached into his pocket, pulled out a coin, a little like a toonie or a loony, right? And looked on it, and on the bottom of it, it would have been a picture of Caesar, and it would have said, son of God. So in his mind, this isn't a new statement. This is a very clear slogan. But that slogan would have meant that all rule and authority of that given time period came under Caesar. Caesar set the way culture was meant to live. He set the foundation, and he saw so much authority in Jesus. He's like, this is the Son of God. He's saying, actually, this man sets the foundation, the, the way, the rule and goodness of actually how society is meant to function. He, he set the whole way, and the centurion saw this. And we as Christians, I think, start realizing, like, wait a second. Is, is Christianity just not like, a, is it a check mark where I say, like, okay, I got to get this person saved. Got to get them saved. Or is it like, yeah, I want that. I want this person with my whole heart to have eternal salvation. It is very important. But actually, I want them to taste this kingdom that is also here and now. And that's what Jesus started. There's a whole new reign. There's a whole new reign over Nelson. And if we took that seriously, how would life be very different? And some of us look at like a Basil McLaren. Basil travels and teaches around the world. He's awesome. But me, I'm just a shop owner. Or I'm just this. What if actually all of us grasp this identity? that actually we have so much more to give. I'm going to tell you uh, in closing, Jesus modeled this. And after he died, he sent his disciples out to say, you can do this too. And one of my favorite stories I'm going to walk you through, and it's not about, there's a guy named Paul who wrote most of the Bible. It's not him. Peter actually is the main figure, if some of you are familiar with. But this guy's name, if you turn to Acts chapter 4, Verse 36. I'll just read it up here. <laughs> um. <laughs> Acts 4.36. This is my favorite character in the whole Bible. His name is Joseph. And uh, he, he's actually just a farmer. This man's nobody but a farmer. He didn't even walk with Jesus. He was just a nobody man in the town. But he got a sniff of the kingdom. He's like, more than anything in life, that's what I want to be about. And I'm going to start changing how I live right now to be about that. So Joseph, a Levite, 
whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So I call him Old Joe. Old Joe had a field, and he saw a need in the town, and he started realizing Jesus actually meant us to be outward focused and love or move into neighborhoods. And when he saw a need, actually sacrificed for those. So he's like, well, I have a field. I'll actually sell it. And he brought it to the apostles' feet. But the cool thing here, you see this, is whom the apostles called Barnabas or Barney, right? And it means son of encouragement. The reason they did this is because this is the same thing Jesus did with his disciples. When he got his disciples in Luke chapter 6, it says he, he got um, Paul or Peter. I'll get Peter, and I'm going to call him the Rock or Rocky. He changed their names and gave them nicknames, right? There's two men, James and John. They're James and John, and he actually gave them the nickname Sons of Thunder because they had anger problems, you know? <laughs> he, had, he had a guy... Uh, um, Simon the Zealot. A zealot in the time period was a murderer. His family history was murdering people. So he's like joking with them like, Simon, you are a zealot. You're a murderer. So like Jesus sees these things and actually was so personal with people, he knew them by name. It wasn't just a checklist like get these disciples disciple. He's like, I know you by name. I know your story. And I'll even joke about your story. And these guys did the same. They said, old Joe, you make me feel so good. When I'm around you, I actually feel awesome. And they're like, we're going to call you Barney, son of encouragement. Think about this. The only gift that Barnabas had was he had a tongue that said good job and probably gave high fives. He got people, know people's names. Only gift he had, he wasn't a teacher, wasn't this huge apostle. He could say good job to people, encourage them, and say keep going. That's all Barnabas had. And we're like, is he a big deal? Let's see if he's a big deal. Um, you can turn to um, Acts 9, 26 through 28. There's this guy named Paul. And Paul wrote like a huge chunk of the New Testament. He wrote the biggest chunk in the New Testament of any writer. But before he was Paul who wrote this, he actually was killing and murdering many people who were following the way of Jesus. He was killing them. And he got an encounter with Jesus, right? And he walked away and said, no, I want to follow Jesus now. But of course, he went to the disciples and the disciples say, no, go your own way. We do not trust you because you proved in your life we cannot trust you. You've screwed up time and time again. You've killed our best friend Stephen before this. We cannot trust you. So he goes away. But now we look at this. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. This is Paul. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas, son of encouragement, took him and brought him to the apostles. He stood um, them, he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him. And how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. So this murderer, Barnabas, said, I know he's a murderer. I know he did bad things, but I believe in him. And this idea of encouragement and belief actually changes the world. And any of us can look at each other and be like, maybe I'm not that gifted, but I can say good job to people. If you can say good job to people, you can radically bring the kingdom. It's not too hard. Jesus said, yes, yeah, set the captives free. 
bring a whole new kingdom to this place. If you can say good job, you actually have enough giftings to bring kingdom and to change the world here in Nelson or wherever you go. And that's all he did. He said, I believe in this guy. And because of this encounter, Paul actually set churches all around the world. But if without Barnabas, it would have never happened. Acts eleven twenty two through 26. In this part, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to zip through this. In, this. in this section, you'll see Paul actually went to his home and Barnabas went and chased him down again and said, I'm going to train you, Paul. And he sat with Paul and trained him how to be a son of encouragement, how to know kingdom. And out of that, released Paul to actually go plant churches all over the world. And this last one, it's in uh, Acts 15.37. I'm just going to tell you about it just because time's running short. Um, at this point, Paul and Barnabas hung out and went on a missionary journey together. And there was this guy named John Mark. John Mark's the writer of the book of Mark. And uh, he actually left them and uh, left them on a journey and came back to them and said, I want to join you again. And Paul looked at him and said, I don't believe in this guy. I cannot, I cannot run with this guy. And Barnabas is like, Paul, don't you remember? We believed in you. Can't you believe in this guy? And they had a huge argument and went away. And Barnabas said, I'm going to stick with the guy nobody believes in. Stuck with John Mark and went on their own missionary journeys to share with people and bring kingdom. And just say good jobs to people, give high fives, knowing them by name. And the world started changing. And actually, if you look at the last letter Paul wrote, the last letter Paul wrote, at the end of it in 2 Timothy, he says, send to me John Mark. But it was only because of Barnabas. Barnabas was a son of encouragement. He said, I believe the kingdom can come through just moving my tongue. Moving my tongue and the kingdom will change. People will get a sniff of the kingdom. And they'll want to know who Jesus is. And, and I, look, I look back at the story of slick money, right? And I, I look and I sat with him, and the only thing I had to give was just, like, good job, buddy. And all of a sudden, the kingdom moved through just saying, like, no, I want to live differently. Slick money said, I don't want my old way of life anymore. I want to live differently. And the only gifting I brought was just saying, good job, and just trying in a horrible, weak sauce way to articulate the gospel to him. And I look at all of one of us, like, this church isn't going to change people. It's not going to affect Nelson. It's actually the individuals in this church. It's the individuals saying, like, actually, I, I want to move into my neighborhood and love my neighbor. I just want to say good job and give them high fives. And actually, people are going to start saying, maybe I want to know this Jesus thing. Maybe I want to know what that is. And as you guys do this, there's two pieces of the gospel I'm going to point out. There's a power of the gospel, and there's a purpose of the gospel. The power of the gospel we all know. It's like Jesus plus nothing is forgiveness of sins. We all get it. It's like we sin, we get God, he redeems us. But all through what I was just saying, there's a purpose in the gospel as well. We're all actually called to start this process of redemption all around us. We're actually to go out on the street and we have a role and a purpose of redemption. Our identity is the son of God through the power of the gospel, but our purpose is actually to go on the street, see people in the face, and say like, yeah, I want to try do this. And what you're going to find is this. As you start walking out and trying to be purposeful, you're going to realize that you're going to fail. You're going to fail. 
And the beauty of it is you realize you need the gospel again. You realize you need the power. Just this last week, I was trying to be intentional with my friends, and a friend sat me down, and he was sitting there with me, and he goes, Matt, you are so undependable. He goes, you are the least dependable person I know. And you know, like, I was trying to actually be dependable with him, but I obviously failed, you know? And I'm sitting with him, and like, I just felt so broken. And this word defraud came to my mind. Do you guys know what that means? Defraud means to steal value from somebody. It actually means to take it away. It actually means this. It means to speak out something with your mouth that you can't back up with your actions or commitments. So it it can go two ways. It can be with Jesus. I praise you, Jesus, but then you don't even act or commit to it. You're defrauding. You're stealing value from God. But you can also do it with a good friend of yours where you're like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And then you don't follow through and you steal value and you defraud them in this process. And I'm going to tell you guys, that's going to happen. But the beauty of it is then you look to Jesus and you're like, God, forgive me. Let me rest that you're going to bring my stuff to completion. You're going to actually redeem me. Your kingdom of power is good enough for me to actually have purpose. And then you get out there and do it again. And then do you know what? You're going to try to do something good and you're going to defraud somebody or screw up or not be who you thought you wanted to be. And you're going, God, I need the power. You start realizing more and more when you're on purpose that you need the power of the gospel. And there's, um, there's two, three verses that I hold on to in this and I'm done. Is, uh, there's handholds. When I'm trying to live out kingdom myself, all I can do is encourage, and I screw up. I have handholds in my life of verses. There's a verse, Luke 18, verse 9, and um, it's about this man who's, who's in, he's in the temple. Jesus walks in with his disciples. There's one man in the front who's a great Christian man. He's like, thank you, God, that I've fasted five days this week. Thank you that I've prayed 30 times today. Thank you that I've read the whole Bible through in the last week. And he's up front saying all these good things. And then there's a man in the back on his knees just weeping, saying, God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And Jesus points at his disciples and says, that one in the back, that's the radical Christian. That's the radical follower. He knows he can't make it on his own. There's another one in Philippians 1 verse 6. It's this verse that says, be confident that God will bring to completion what he started in you. And it's one of those I just hold on to because, you know, I screw up and can't make it. And I'm just like, no, God, you promised that you'll bring it to completion. I'll hold on. You can bring it into completion in my heart when I don't feel like I have enough. And then there's Romans 8, 1. It says there is no condemnation in Jesus. It's like when I'm trying to step out on this purpose, whatever that looks like, and step into my neighborhoods, and I screw up, I'm undependable, I don't do what I want to do, God says, don't feel condemned. Just feel the power of the gospel. Hold on, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There's only freedom. And yes, he calls you to change, but get up and go. And the last one is Romans 8, 28. He says, all things turn together for good for those who love him. He promises, yeah, Don Gilman, our, our mentor, He died this week at 50 years old. That's just not supposed to happen. But he says, I promise to turn all things together for good. 
And I don't know how that turns together for good yet. I don't know if Basil does, but I'm clinging, you know, to this handlebar. Like, God, you promised this. I feel like I'm hanging there. You promised you'll turn it together for good. And I'm trusting that you'll show us. You know, this guy who shot somebody in the movie theater in Denver. You're going to turn that together for good. I don't think he wanted it. I don't think that's the way he prefers our, our cultures to live. But I'm holding on. You're going to turn it together for good and use me in any way to bring redemption. And guys, I think this is the beauty of the gospel. Everybody in the world is asking two things. Who am I? What's my identity? They're asking. Everybody is. Muslim, Hindus, hippies on the street. And they're asking, what the heck is my purpose? And the gospel gives it to us. It's like you have a purpose to engage your neighbors and love them. And you have a free, no condemnation ride to feel the power of the gospel bring lightness, redemption, and hope. And it's a continued journey. It's the beauty of the gospel. And we as a community, I just say like, hey, if craft dinners bring the kingdom, like let's keep doing them. You know, if, if we throw big American Thanksgiving parties at the McLaren's house, like, let's keep doing them if hope comes to people's lives. If we have a game night and people are coming here feeling refreshed in their heart and bringing relationship, like, let's keep doing those things. Let's keep doing those things. I'm going to just pray for us that the kingdom rests here. Lord Jesus, God, you say your kingdom comes, your will be done. And God, you say, you say to us, God, that you've set the captives free. You bring redemption to the blind. You bring redemption to the brokenhearted and the broken marriages and the unknown purposes and the failed choices and the undependability of being in people's lives. God, you bring redemption to even people who can't read peace signs. Um, God, when we're just humans and we don't do it right, you bring redemption. God, I just praise you that you do that. I praise you that you do that. And God, I thank you that for some reason you've chose us to be part of your plan and purpose to bring redemption to our neighborhoods. You've chosen for us to move into the neighborhood in Nelson and uh, all over BC, Lord Jesus. And God, I, I pray, God, that you can give us courage to keep pressing forward, that there's courage in our heart as we leave here, Lord Jesus. And God, that we can understand deeper today that your love is better than life, that your love is better than life. That's why I praise you, not because I'm smarter than anybody else or have more figured out, but just because it's so good. It's better than life. And that's why I praise you, Lord Jesus. So just give us a deeper sniff ourselves of your kingdom and what that is, Lord Jesus. Let us know people like Slick Money and, and uh, Kyle, my basketball friend, and other people like that actually want to know the kingdom, even though they seem like they don't. They actually do deep down want this kingdom that's full of goodness. So use us today, Lord Jesus, and let us receive your power of the gospel today as well. We love you, Lord. In your name, amen.